He slept in his parents' bedroom until he was 13. He wet the bed until he was 14. He doesn't know how to ride a bike. Apparently, he has friends. Welcome to Socially Awkward with Evan Wexel. Wexel. Welcome to Socially Awkward with Evan Wexel. I'm Evan Wexel. This is a podcast where I interview a different Facebook friend every episode. And I've interviewed someone this week that I'm very happy with. I went to college with them and they worked for the Yankees in a way. And uh, they have a new book out. I like how I'm referring to this person as they because I will reveal nothing. Until I tell you that you can like, share, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. Please write a five-star review about the podcast. And what else? Oh, yeah, social media, at Awkward with Evan on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and to support for as little as a dollar a month, patreon.com slash funnyevan. More on that later. Uh, so, yes, my guest, a fellow jumbo, even my year. At Tufts University, his name is Dan Barbarisi of the Tufts Daily fame, and he went on to greater things since college. He he worked at a bunch of newspapers, and even though he wasn't doing sports, it was a, an opportunity volunteered to him. It even led him to be the beat writer of the Wall Street Journal for the New York Yankees for six seasons, uh, and that's if that doesn't hook you. I don't know what is, what's going to hook you. Um, he, he was able to speak to me. He was nice enough to speak to me because he has a book out. It has been out for a year, but it is just coming out on paperback, which I guess is not as big a deal as hardcover. But I got to be part of his press junket, technically. I got to interview him about his book. It's called Dueling with Kings. He kind of dives in to fantasy sports. Before it blew up, he was in there investigating, writing about DraftKings and FanDuel and where it goes from here and gambling in general. And uh, we break it down. We break down his book. I'm, I'm not going to say anything else. It's time for Dan Barbarisi. All right, this is Socially Awkward with Evan Wexel. Uh, I'm a little nervous because I'm interviewing someone that's more of a journalist or a professional than me uh, because I'm just, just someone who doing an awkward podcast. This guy is a legitimate uh, writer and proven uh, media personality, let's say. Uh, and we went to college together, and I, I'm guessing we never met during college, or maybe we did. We'll find out. It's Dan Barbarisi. Welcome, sir. Thank you, Evan. How are you doing, man? I'm doing very well. Now, is all this with your new book, is it all possible thanks to the Tufts Daily? Uh, it actually does owe a lot to the Tufts Daily, yes. <laughs> okay. um, and I think we actually did meet in high school, or probably college. college. Um, I know we had a bunch of friends in common, and I actually did uh, did think we did meet at various points over those four years at Tufts. But okay. um, yeah, I love the Daily, man. I, I spent like 45 hours a week there for a few <laughs> years, and it was you know, it was honestly great training. Um, I would not have gotten into, you know, real actual professional journalism if not for the daily. And so uh, I totally love that place. I still give them money every year. I don't give oh. tough crap, but I actually give the daily like a hundred bucks a year. So, so you, like, uh, you allocate it specifically for them or does it like, yep, is it yep. I'm oh, like, good. don't you touch my money for anything else, Tufts. You better just give it to the daily. Yeah. 
I sometimes do that for the the cross country team. I like I'll oh, only yeah, give yeah. it to them. Uh, cool. Uh, so what was your? Were you doing sports at the daily, or were you just editing? No, or? I was uh, I was a news guy uh, exclusively. I never had written a sports story ever. Uh, after Tufts, I was at the Globe, the Boston Globe, and the Providence Journal for a bunch of years. And when I was at the Providence Journal, um, I was the Providence City Hall reporter. And the one day I was actually. Weirdly enough, in Florida for my grandfather's funeral, it was the fall of 2008, and um, the managing editor of the paper called, and he's like, hey, when you get back, we need you to cover the Red Sox. And I was like, oh, that's cool. They were in the playoffs at the time. I was like, I haven't covered baseball or sports or stuff ever, so like, just help out or whatever. And he's like, no, 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 you're going to cover it from full time from now on. You're going to like be a beat writer and travel on the road and stuff. I was like, what? What are you talking about? I don't know anything about that stuff. I'm going to – I no idea. Um, But he's like, ah, you'll be fine. You knew so, nothing about no. baseball going into that? Or, no, I mean, I knew you, baseball, yeah. but I, I didn't, I, I had never written about sports at all. And I wasn't like a huge, avid fan. I, right. you know, I liked, I liked baseball a ton in like the 90s growing up, but I hadn't really like paid much attention since like, you know, the Yankee dynasty of the mid to late 90s. <laughs> and it was by then it was 2008. And I was like, oh, all right, I know like three players on this team. And I have no <laughs> idea how to cover sports and don't really know anything about this, but I guess we'll figure it out. So, um, yeah, long story short, I, I guess I did figure it out. Uh, a couple years later, the Wall Street Journal called and asked me, asked me to cover the Yankees for them. So then I went oh. to be a sports and sports business reporter for the Wall Street Journal um, from 2010 to 2015. Uh, and that then segues, or I guess 2016-ish. But yeah, that, yeah. that segues into the next step. But uh, but yeah, so I, I never covered any sports at Tufts or really for like the first eight or so years of my weird little journalism career. Cool. Well, I want to ask you then, as, as a hardcore Yankee fan myself, is it is it different covering uh, a team when you're when it's for the Wall Street Journal when it's not really like a sports paper per se, or was it just like any other beat writer there? No, it definitely was different. Um, they at the time they kind of had a mission that was like, all right, because the New York City beats are so overcovered, you know, anything right. from the Knicks, the Jets, the Giants, Yankees, you know, don't just do the same stories everyone else does. Really try to essentially be almost a feature writer on the beat in a beat context. So you're trying to do a different story every day. Like the whole goal was make sure I don't have the same story anyone else does that day and try to make it a little bit more in-depth, a little bit more well-researched, a little bit weird, different, wacky. Uh, And (laughs) the idea was just, you know, that was good. And the way I was able to do that was you didn't have to do like beat writer notebooks and stuff that a lot of the other writers had to spend a lot of time you know, compiling minutiae and doing all that junk. Um, so I was freed of some of those responsibilities, but I still had to try to produce one good feature-ish story every day, which was, you know, yeah. it, it's a high bar, um, but it was a fun one. It's And so, you know, it, it was mostly the same job, but a little bit tweaked because the journal was trying to appeal to a different readership. And really, they didn't care what the Daily News did. They just wanted to beat the New York Times, <laughs> you know, so it was all about what are the readers who we have who are already here for other stuff? What are you giving them that the Times is not? So that was the basic idea. What was it like a typical headline you could come up with that was a little different than, you know, like, they got to pitch this guy this day? Or uh... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I did all kinds of weird stuff. I mean, um, you know, just I, I tried to just have a lot of fun with it. Um, you know, I, I, went, I did one where I, like, investigated, like, the history of the Pine Tar game <laughs> and found the Bat Boy from, like, 1970 or 82 pardon me who had like had like a secret story about it nice. you know i did like weird little almost kind of pre-buzzfeed polls of the yankees on what's like each teammate would you know who was the guy you'd want your back in a fight that kind of stuff oh, that's, that's what i would uh, do yeah yeah you know i would try to just kind of get inside these guys and 
see what makes them tick and just kind of tell weird, you know, fun, strange feature stories and, and actually try to spend a lot of time on them outside the ballpark. Like I did, you know, a few good ones with Mark Teixeira who let me in a lot and try to like look into like baseball players getting to business stuff and, mm-hmm. you know, outside field pursuits and, and really just, you know, try to tell human stories to the extent possible. Um, I got in trouble once when I, I wrote a story about Derek Jeter and his girlfriend, uh, which was a lot of fun. I think it was uh, Derek Jeter and his girlfriends. Or I don't know. But, you know this is the one who became his wife. Oh, right. Uh, so he got pissed at me about that. That uh, was a good time. You know, but yeah, I mean, a lot of fun, interesting, weird stuff. I actually had a lot of fun with it. It was a very, very cool gig. Um, and I really enjoyed doing it. Cool. Was uh, was like to share, would you call it to share like the, the Yankee you knew the most or like the most friendly you were with or were there um, others? Or? He was the star I was the closest with. Um, you know, I'd probably usually get together with him once every off season and do, you know, some big story there about sure. kind of where he was and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, he was my age and he lived in the town next. He lived in Greenwich, Connecticut. I grew up in Rybrook, New York, you know, okay. um, both drove Audis. <laughs> uh, but no, he, he was uh, he was probably the star's closest. But the reality is, when you're in that context, the best guys to deal with are always the role players, mm-hmm. um, the guys who are the most willing to open up and to be buddies with. Almost in that context, are right. almost always not going to be the star players. Star players are very very hard to get close to. Sure. Um, so you know, some of the guys I was probably tightest with over my years there were guys who you know only really hardcore Yankee fans remember. But like Sean Kelly was a reliever there was very yep. good. Ended up uh, signing a big the only deal with the Nationals. Chris Stewart was the catcher there for a while. Awesome guy. Oh, yeah. I still play words with friends with him. He's really good. <laughs> um, it's like, you know, it's those guys who are smart and got the most out of their talent and are, you know, like the 16th man on a 25-man roster, essentially, right. who are the best guys because they're glue guys for the team, and they're also usually the best media guys, and they're the most kind of willing to let you in if, you know, you can kind of distinguish yourself from the pack of the other reporters. Um, and then asking about the beat, like I listen to a lot of, you know, like WFAN uh, was huge on Mike Frances and some some ESPN New York when they have a good guest. Did you have like friends on the beat or was it really kind of like are some like are there clicky? Like how is the New York sports Yankees beat as, um, as, they, as they heard from place to place? Yeah, uh, it, it can be clicky. I did have a lot of friends on the beat. I actually love those guys. And, you know, it's. I, I don't really miss being on the beat at all, but I right. definitely miss hanging out with those guys and, you know, getting to fly around the country with them in this weird traveling circus. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Um, still very, very close to those guys. Um, but that doesn't mean there aren't clicks right. as well, because in the lar- I mean, the, the Yankee beat is like 10 or 11 people. And when I was on it, most of those people were pretty close. Yep. But then there's also like if you're at home, like like those say 10 or 11 travel on the road. Right. But if you're home, you've got. 35 people in the clubhouse and a lot of those are older guys who are in their own little clique and they resent some of the younger guys the younger (laughs) guys the older guys you know there are some people are just boobs you know there's there's (laughs) there's definitely you know stratifications there um but in i think in older times the beat itself was very fractured in years when like joel sherman and john Heyman and those guys were on the beat there was a lot of dissension um, but when I was on it, honestly, er- almost everybody got along really, really well. And I, I absolutely consider a lot of those guys some of my closest friends now. All right, we're going to get back to Dan and his new book, Dueling with Kings, available on Amazon, which is another way you can support the podcast. If you want to go to awkwardwithevan.com and click on my Amazon picture, uh, you can then, uh, and also check the show notes, you can get his book and it helps the podcast. Another way to help the podcast is to become a patron of the podcast. 
by going to patreon.com slash funny Evan. There you will see my impetus for doing this podcast and my quest to interview every Facebook friend I have. But for your support, I, I give back some rewards. Like even, even for a dollar a month, you can see my Patreon feed uh, that has maybe some exclusive posts from here and there that no one else will see. For $3 a month, you'll get an Awkward with Army certificate. Uh, what else? $5 a month? A uh, cell phone wallet. Yeah, no. Oh, no. $5. <laughs> no, $5. I'll follow you on Twitter. The podcast will follow you wherever you want to go. It will add to your social media following. Um, for $10 a month, you get an Evan Wexel cell phone wallet. And then uh, $25 a month, I will give you a shout-out. I'll even give you a shout-out once a month. This won't even be a one-time thing. Why not? For $50 a month, I will consult you on whatever you need help with. And if you are not my friend and you're just like, I'm a random person that has an extra $100, you can be my guest on the podcast at $100 a month. And heck, $250 a month? That's nothing. And that would get you title sponsorship. For example, if Scott Baio were to sponsor my podcast, I would be like, welcome to Socially Awkward with Evan Wexel. All hail Scott Baio! doesn't have to be Scott Bay. It could be you. So again, go to patreon.com slash funnyevan. Uh, anything helps. And now, let's help out Dan Barbarizzi. And let's get his book. And let's finish the interview. Nice. And then since the Yankees, you moved back to Boston? Yes. Or- so um, in, I guess this might segue in, but in 2015, I decided that I was going to do a book about the world of daily fantasy sports. You know, draft ah. fantasy, oh, which yes. was at the time was was super blowing up and i had kind of figured out um this was like the spring of 2015 this it was before that crazy advertising blitz and before that stuff was everywhere and before like (laughs) scandal was hitting it left and right i kind of like discovered this and i was like this thing is crazy how did a bunch of dudes basically manage to nationalize and legalize sports gambling and it's like nobody seems to have noticed this yet but my (laughs) hypothesis was people are going to start noticing it very soon and I was right about that. Yep. And so I was like, all right, I got to get inside this thing. I got to see what makes it tick. I got to try to figure out how the hell this happened and how much how there's so much money in this. I mean, literally, these are suddenly billion dollar valued companies wow. with partnerships with MLB and the NHL and all that stuff. And nobody seemed to have picked up on all that yet. <laughs> um, so I kind of basically started to like get myself into it and said, all right, I want to explore this thing and do a book in it and try to become one of these guys and really go inside it to try to tell the story of this very weird and very strange and controversial and effed up world. Right. Um, so I started doing that in the spring and summer of 2015 mm-hmm. when I went to my bosses at the Wall Street Journal and said, look, this thing is going crazy. Um, I want to do a book on it. They're like, all right, well, you know, get a little further along. We'll see about a book leave. And then the whole industry like blew up, which again, I predicted it would. That was good. Yeah. But it like crazy all the ads were everywhere this was the fall of 2015 and it was like you couldn't go two seconds without hearing or seeing a DraftKings or FanDuel ad and then the whole thing got crazy scandalized there was a big scandal in it it blew up became front page news all over the country massive controversy and I was already like in this whole thing as it was happening which was great for the purposes (laughs) of the book I was planning on doing but was not good for the Wall Street Journal purposes because they were like hey this thing is super scandalized and we don't understand how sketchy it is we can't let you be doing like a full-time book where you're essentially a you know professional gambler and also be an active sports writer. And <laughs> so they were like, you got to make a decision here. And yeah. I understood that. 
Uh, and so I honestly cared more about doing the book than I did about the Yankee beat job. So <laughs> I said, all right, you know what? I'll, I'll quit. I'll just do the book full time because I believe I had a really cool story to tell. And uh, I wanted to tell it. So um, I told them at the end of the year I'd, uh, I'd resign and I'd you know, become a full-time author and do the book full-time. So that is what I did. And now we have Dueling with Kings. Yes, exactly right. came out in March, uh, in March 7th of last year, actually. And the paperback actually just came out uh, yesterday. So with oh, uh, wow. kind of oh, a wow. new edition uh, with updates and a new epilogue and all that stuff. So you can get the hardcover and the Kindle and the audiobook version for the past year, but uh, I didn't know this till now, but you know, paperbacks actually only come out like a year after most of the time. Oh, wow. So, uh, learn a lot about writing books when you write one. This is cool. I'm part of your press junket. I never, I've never yes, done that before. Exactly. This is great. <laughs> what have you done today? I've called into like ESVN and I've called into CNN and now I'm doing this awkward <laughs> podcast. Although those interviews were last year when it came out, the paper book interview rounds are a lot less I've found, but yeah. that's okay. Um, <laughs> I think it's a little different in terms of gambling. It feels like with fantasy sports, it's more about the experience or, or maybe it's a little more about the money, but it's still a little more about just the experience of like building your own team for the day. What, what's your thoughts on that? versus gambling in general or other gambling yeah absolutely there's no question i mean you know there is no question it is a much more cerebral form of you know gambling than most others you know just betting on the spread or that kind of stuff it really does you know it's incredibly time labor um math intensive and i think you know that's one of the things that turned a lot of people off initially or it, well turn them on first like oh i can build fantasy teams like i do with my buddies and i can <laughs> win money doing it that's amazing um and then you know when the companies kind of made it like oh hey as long as you know how to build the team you'll make money i think that you know wrong falls to a lot of people because the reality is that the the game itself was really hard because it is much more intensive you know you really have yeah. to be a super duper stats geek and be really, really good and understand the games itself to actually make money doing it. Yeah. But the company's kind of portrayed it as just, hey, you know, you know a little bit about sports, make a fantasy team about your favorite team and you'll make a ton of money. And so a lot of people got <laughs> crushed in those early days. Um, you know, it's not like in gambling, it's hard, you know, in straight sports gambling, it's very hard to beat the sports book. It's hard to beat the spread. It's hard to be profitable. But in fantasy, it, you know, in those times, it was ridiculous. I mean, like, you yeah. know, basically 1% of the players were winning like 95% of the profits, wow. which is not the kind of distribution you want. It's like America. Um, so, what's that? It's like America. Yeah, it, it, it was <laughs> a little too America-like, honestly. <laughs> and, uh, and so that was the kind of thing where, you know, when all that was happening, that's when people started to step in and say, hey, what's up with this? Is this cool? Is this thing on the level? Should this be changed? And those were the kind of questions... I was trying to ask as well, but, um, you know, to your question, it absolutely is a much more cerebral and much more intense and I, I would argue a lot more fun form of gambling than sports betting, you know, sure. straight, which I honestly don't find interesting really at all. I think building a team is actually very intense and fun and, you know, the experience they call the sweat experience of watching right. your team essentially perform oh, over the course of that <laughs> night is actually really, really intoxicating and a lot of fun and, um, you know, the crazy, strange adrenaline rush. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard. It's hard as hell. Can you differentiate between DraftKings and FanDuel? Was there something different about the company models or were they pretty much similar, just competitors? Well, you know, I deal with a lot of this in the book. And, and so FanDuel was the original and then DraftKings was kind of the upstart. And FanDuel was really conservative and did, you know, like they understood that they were really operating in a quasi-legal zone. And that they had basically managed to get away with something because they were like created the whole sports gambling empire essentially out of a loophole. Uh, and then 
So they tried to play it real close and safe and smart. And then DraftKings shows up and they're like, you know, bull in a china shop. And they're like, we're going to basically trumpet, you know, all this stuff out there. We're going to do a crazy ad campaign. We're going to say you can make tons of money. We're going to basically offer all kinds of weird sports that are probably not even legal under our little loophole designation. And, you know, we're not even going to care about a lot of the kind of rules and strictures and protecting the players and stuff that you probably should have in this case. FanDuel kind of responded to that. And then all of a sudden, you know, it was off to the races and became kind of a Wild West environment. That said, DraftKings had the better product. Yeah. And over time, I started out as a FanDuel player and I actually became primarily a DraftKings player because they were, A, very aggressive in a way that was bad for the industry, but it was good for them. Right. But they also were very good at iterating and improving their product fast. And FanDuel did not do as good a job. So it ended up that FanDuel was the industry leader for a long time. And now DraftKings is by far. And I would argue that FanDuel is actually kind of in trouble. And both companies are now waiting to some extent to, I think, pivot to full-on sports betting Right. Uh, when and if that is legalized, probably by the Supreme Court in the next few months. So now, and will it go state by state, or is it going to be like a blanket, like nationwide decision? Yeah. So I mean, without getting too deep into the weeds, sure, sure. Um, right now, uh, basically, New Jersey wants sports betting. Nevada, Las Vegas, they have sports betting. There's a little bit of it in Delaware, and there's some arguments for it in other places. But New Jersey wants to be able to offer it in a larger way. The sports leagues have said no to that, um, although their their anger at it is starting to decline. Um, and now, basically, the Supreme Court has looked at this law, the PAPSA law, PAPSA law that prohibits this, and said, like, this is kind of silly. We should let the states decide for themselves. Yeah. So that's probably how they're going to rule probably in the next few months. Uh, and so all these big companies are starting to gear up and say, OK, now we have want to get frameworks in place to see if we can offer sports betting nationally. Um, on a state by state level. So, you know, probably in 30 to 35 states is my guess, ones that have laws that are permissive enough. And basically, it's funny because if you have laws that will permit you to have essentially fantasy sports gambling, as I call it, in your state, you probably will then be one of the states that is going to transition over to sports betting. So, DraftKings and FanDuel are actually in a really, really good position yeah. to become among the first almost national online sports books because. They've already gone through a lot of that stuff, getting themselves established in those states where statewide gambling laws are relatively favorable to that. Okay. And I guess it could, could it open up to like more sites and, you know, I feel like it, it reminds me a little bit of Bitcoin in a way that it's something new and it feels like it's accessible to everyone, but you need yeah. like maybe a specialized knowledge where like all these different coins are popping up. And then with this, yep. it seems like maybe you could have all these different, uh, gambling sites just popping up i think that's exactly it's funny so you know in dueling with kings i kind of went inside that world and i became one of the sharks you know the fantasy sports shark and i you know i was like tutored by some of the top guys and i like lived amongst them became one of them and you know basically lived their weird crazy life and now all those guys are out of the fantasy sports thing and they're all into crypto like yeah. they you know it's a certain type of person who moves from one crazy big next thing to the next and right. all those guys are in crypto now right. and they're all like lamborghini rich from crypto and Which bitcoin is... and ethereum and eos and ripple and all these things and i'm like so i kind of should have followed you guys into uh, that one too like oh yeah you missed the boat man i got missed the uh, boat i missed most of the yeah. boat i maybe got a little yeah. of the boat but most of the boat i did not have i have an oar um so uh i guess like since the facebook podcast um facebook friend podcast do you have like how's how's facebook life for you is it pretty much a share share family thing share career things uh, uh yeah I, I i'm not a huge facebooker i guess yeah but i um i I do. I guess I'm more of a lurker, as they would call it. But nice. I do. 
I share family stuff from time to time, and I do share book stuff from time to time. And my wife, I guess, puts a ton of pictures of our like newborn kid who's like eight months old nice. a ton. So I then you know share those. I guess because okay. I guess that's what you do, cool. right? Yeah, so, no. It, uh, it, anyway, yeah, yeah. different different things for different people. Yeah, and uh, it can be anything. Um, I guess my I guess my last. I'll let you wrap up in a little bit. Um, any questions for me? This is your first time probably speaking to me for more than two seconds. Do you have any yes. random <laughs> questions for me? I'll turn the tables on you, Mister Beat Writer. Sure, covering sure. the Evan uh, yeah, Wexel I mean, circuit. Yeah. Wh- why do you call it socially awkward? Do you consider yourself socially awkward, or are you just trying to get other people to feel socially awkward or less so? <laughs> uh, yes, and yes. I think okay. I'm very awkward. Um, I it's social <laughs> media, and I I I built my Facebook friend list actually from like trying to copy what a comedian was doing back in 2004 by just like friending everybody, and then uh. I tried to like build it with. Uh, by adding people from Tufts who were like graduating in 2007 and 2008 in hopes that I could do a comedy show for Tufts or something. It was like, I was using it as a way to like, maybe I can play at your school because I'm, I'm adding my, you're my friend now on Facebook. And, uh, so it's just, it's using, it's all, it's more about just, I have, I've accumulated whether it was pimping outward pimping or just different places in my life. Uh, I have over 4,000 friends. I want to interview them all. And it's social media, and I'm sure these questions, these interviews will be awkward because <laughs> some of these people I've never spoken to. And one time, someone just randomly added me, and my first message to them was, "Do you want to be on my podcast?" So <laughs> that I like that it's it's a real kind of you know dragging the fishing net behind the boat approach. Yeah, but you know, you also you get some some good good stuff in there. I imagine I do. I mean, a lot of my outreach is done after I do a show and I'm like, I'm in the hotel and I have downtime and it's 11 o'clock East coast time. And I'm like, who can I cast a net and retain like right now who can podcast like right now? So that's, <laughs> that's a small population. But then I've like, you know, I've, I've a mini queue of people that have expressed interest. I've had a few where like, no, it's not for me. Um, but then there's like thousands more that I have just not been able to touch and I got to like touch them all. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe you can help me. I'm actually supposed to judge a comedy competition on Friday, oh and gosh. I have no idea about anything. A friend of mine, a guy who was actually, I noticed, was a Facebook friend of yours. Not that I, that apparently yeah. that means you've ever met him, but uh, Josh Filipowski, who was oh, a yeah. comic. Yes. Uh, he and I went to high school together. We're actually pretty good friends. Oh, that's And funny. so he's running this, you know, like NCAA tournament of comics thing in a few cities. Yeah. And uh, I'm supposed to be one of the judges for the Boston one on Friday, I guess. So do you have any any advice for judging a comedy competition? That's it's very that's cool. Josh did. I did shows with him, I think, in New York. And he was always like a goofy guy. Yes. Uh, and yes. I, I haven't been in touch with him in like maybe a decade. But yeah, he's he's very funny uh, advice. I mean, I've been. I've been more the host, not the judge. I mean, you can play it two ways. You can play it like straight up serious or you can be very, you can, you can turn, you can almost be like the bad guy. You can, you can just be devil's advocate if you want to play that role. Uh, I think, I think you're, you're witty enough. I think whatever you do is going to be fine. Okay, I'll, I, just, I'll just I just know you can and, do, and do no wrong. Do you think I should kind of reward weird and different or should I just go with what makes me laugh? Both. I think okay. I think if if sometimes if you if you get like anti comedy on stage, uh-huh. sometimes you just have to like appreciate that. But okay. that's that's I mean I'm a, I'm I can always like I have the ability to like you know see behind the curtain and see like right. why what's funny to what what com- comedic uh, person and why they're going there. Uh, yeah. But I mean you know rule number one is is it funny and if it passes <laughs> rule number one then you can kind of branch out from there. Okay, I will keep that in mind and and try to uh, apply that. Yes. 
And uh, and the book again is Dueling with Kings. It's on Amazon. Uh, yeah, Barnes and, and Noble, anywhere you want. Anywhere you so, want. And and yep. Dan Barbarizzi on Twitter, uh, yep. Facebook. And yeah, the one, the one, your name always came up when I was talking with Sandy Freed from Tufts. Yes, sure, right. So she was Tufts always. Daily she was. Yes, she was she, production person there. Yes, she was on the Daily. And I, I looked over our mutual friends. I mean, it's a lot of people from maybe. I mean, Dina, Dina Sloan, maybe. Oh, Dina's great. Yes, Love she was. Dina. In, she was in my Hebrew class for a few semesters. I still, even though being Jewish, I couldn't pick up spoken Hebrew in three semesters. He needed uh, man. I, uh, <laughs> I, I still have like a few of the words. I got Ema and Abba, pretty much. But that's about it. Yeah, and uh, and w- once in a while, what's it? Well, like I'll, I'll tutor kids and I'll sometimes like have to tutor Spanish and I don't even know how to Spanish myself. So uh, you just have to, well, in Hebrew, <laughs> it's like good. this or in Latin, it's like this, but yeah. All right, cool. So this is good. I will put the, I will promote the book in the show notes. Uh, <laughs> I will let you go pick up your child yes, and, uh, and uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for taking the time and uh, thanks for letting me be awkward with you. My pleasure, Evan. Always a pleasure to be awkward with you. Yes, you got it. Thanks, man. See ya. All right, I want to thank Dan Barbarizzi for taking the time. I look forward to him uh, promoting this book uh, across radio. He should be a guest on every radio show that's sports because sports is now becoming more gambling than sports. And Dan was ahead of the curve. And that's why you should get his book, Dueling with Kings, on Amazon. Um, It's also why you should follow this podcast on social media at Awkward with Evan on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Support patreon.com slash funny Evan. And of course, if you could write a five star review for iTunes slash Apple Podcasts, that would be adorable. Um, we have more guests on the way, more people in the pipeline as we creep through the 60s of Facebook friends I have interviewed. And uh, we get into the 70s in a few weeks. So thanks for checking this out and stay awkward. Well, I will. That's me. Bye. Thanks for listening. Go to awkwardwithevan.com to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Now for Evan's mom to pick out his clothes for tomorrow. See you next time on Socially Awkward with Evan Wexel. 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 Wexel.